Good evening and welcome to the March 22nd, 2023 Northboro Appropriations Committee meeting. Uh, first on our agenda tonight is the approval of minutes from March 1st, 2023 and March 8th, 2023. Make a motion to approve both sets of minutes as written. Second. Moved and seconded. Any discussion? All those in favor? All those opposed? Minutes are approved. Next on our agenda is the Fire Department Fiscal Year 2024 Budget Presentation. Chief Brunty. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Finally, I was like scheduled and it wasn't that I was scheduled. I know. It's been crazy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. Um, what we would like to do is give you guys a little background of the kind of year we just had. So I'm going to give you a little highlights of, uh, of the year we had. Uh, I'll touch real quickly on our current capital, uh, what's going on with that, and then I'll get into the budget. That's okay. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. Great. So uh, we had, since I, I got hired in January of 2016, in this past year, we've had the busiest year since I've been here. We did over 2,500 calls. Uh, really hopping, doing a lot of, uh, we dropped down a little bit during COVID, and then we have just spiked right back up, and it's, it's just crazy. Uh, it's not unusual for us to have two ambulances out and a mutual aid ambulance coming in. Uh, we're, we're that busy. Yep. Uh, so the, and the guys are doing an amazing job. So I, it, 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 all the glories to them. They've done an incredible job. Uh, some of the initiatives and accomplishments we, we, uh, we, we did this year, uh, we accomplished this year. One of the big things I was doing was trying to uh, attain a uh, response time, an EMS response time of under eight minutes. That's the national standard is eight minutes. We were actually able to get it at seven minutes and 46 seconds, which is terrific. So that means we have an ALS unit on scene 90% of the time in seven minutes and 46 seconds, which is terrific because the with, with advanced life support, the sooner we can start that, the better it is for the survivability of the patient. So that was a really big one for us. We were very excited for that. Uh, we completed the purchase and the setup of a, uh, of a new vehicle for mine. Uh, Richard was asking me about uh, about the new little uh, Ford out there. We did downsize quite a bit. We went from the Tahoe to the Ford uh, Interceptor because my logic was, I don't need something quite that fancy. I just need to get to the scene and have radios in there to run to run command. So it's a much smaller vehicle, uh, more fuel efficient, and uh, it's working out really well for us so far. We also were able to uh, uh, get our new pickup truck because our other one was all rusting out. So we were able to get that all up and fit it up. It's amazing how expensive it is to fit up and buy radios for those things in the stripe them. But that one's up in service now, so we're really excited. Another big accomplishment we had, and that was in conjunction with uh, all the departments in town, was we completed our uh, analysis and we completed the conversion from copper lines to, uh, to the new digital communication system for our radio communications. Verizon was, out, was getting rid of all their copper lines. And they sent us something that said, hey, we're getting rid of the copper lines, figure it out. So we, set, we, we actually brought them in. Uh, Becca headed up the committee, and we did an incredible job. We got it done, and Chris, uh, Chris uh, Carlton from the super, uh, supervisor at the communications. But we, they've all been converted over now. So if they get rid of the copper lines, it doesn't matter to us. We're running digital to all of them, so that's a really good thing. Uh, we did get a grant to put in a Plymo vent system in our current fire station. And people were asking me, well, why, why are you putting something in a new station when we're hoping to build a new station? And that, that's a real simple answer. Number one uh, cause of death in firefighters right now is cancer. And it's been determined, it's from the turnout gear we wear, which is, actually has PFAS in it, we found out. 
It's from fighting fires, obviously, and it's from living above a garage. So we live above a garage. The exhaust system we have in there isn't very efficient. This new system, which was almost 100% funded by a federal grant, actually hooks onto the exhaust system. So when the truck starts up, fan starts up, takes the exhaust right out. So it's so much safer. Uh, some of you may know we've had several people in the department who have come down with cancer. Mm -hmm. And whether it's related to that or other things, we don't know. Even better about this system, and the reason I picked this system, is it's movable. So all the money we invested, all the grant, as soon as we build a new station, you unbolt it, you put it in the new station, and you bolt it back up. So we didn't waste anything. We can actually move it to the new station. So we're very excited about that. And the final thing we did is we finally, uh, a goal of mine was to expand our uh, our safe education program. So you, uh, some of you may be familiar, we do the safe program for the seniors, where we go out and we do home inspections for them. We replace smoke detectors. If we don't have, if they don't have one, we give them one that we can install, a battery powered one. Uh, and we do uh, like fall prevention and all that. That's all funded through a state grant. We've now applied for and we're awarded one for the schools. So we're going to be getting back into the schools. Uh, I've assigned one firefighter to be responsible for that. He's really excited about it. And we actually got into several of the schools this year because we went, when we got the grant, the timing was such that it was, you know, can we get into the schools before schools out? So we're actually getting into the schools. So we're really excited about that. So there were some of our big accomplishments this year. Um, as far as our, our, uh, our uh, CIP program for our, uh, our ongoing capital program, the big thing uh, this uh, upcoming year is our firing engine one. So engine one is uh, it's an older truck. It's 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 done its 20-year uh, stint as a first and second due uh, insurance service organization, which is a company that comes in and rates our insurance and says, hey, this is what people in Northboro are going to pay. Says after 20 years, the trucks need to be replaced. So it's it's due. Uh, it was due to be replaced this year, or it's due to be replaced next year. And it's a two to three year wait for new fire trucks now. It is insane. It's, it used to be a year, maybe, maybe 18 months in a, in a bad year. Now it's two years, three years. They'll quote you two years and you'll see it in three. Yeah. It's really bad. And it's, 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 it's all the manufacturers. The one thing the manufacturers are offering, though, is discounts if you pay them in cash or if you pay 50% in cash. So that's, that's a nice thing if we can get it, but uh, that, 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 that's a big thing they're pushing right now. That is the only thing on our uh, 2024 uh, capital, capital program. I think you guys probably have a copy of our capital program. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to, uh, to reach out, ask me questions. I'd be happy to straighten them out, anything for you. As yeah. far, yeah. yeah. Sure. Is there such thing as trade-ins on like an old we do. truck? We yeah, do. Okay. So, so what happens is, yeah, you know where they normally they normally end up overseas. Okay. It's at, or in a in a small volunteer department. So there's these companies like Brindley Mountain. There's all these. Uh, is, is this one for example? They buy used fire trucks from the dealer. So say if we did an emergency one, right. E1 will give us ten thousand dollars for our truck. Okay. They'll sell that truck to Brindley Mountain for fifteen, and Brindley Mountain will market it and sell it for thirty or whatever, um, which, is, which is good, um, except when you know the truck has, you really have to be careful buying used trucks. Well, it's 20 years. Right? It, it's, it's got 20 years. There's the, the pump right now is in very bad shape. It's still pumping. It's still passing its test. But my, uh, my pump mechanic, who just happened to be a guy I worked with for 20 years in, up in New Hampshire, he's my pump mechanic, uh, he said, uh, we, can't, we can't adjust it anymore. All the adjustings are done. All, all the packings are tight. 
we're at the point where if it fails, we tear it down, we rebuild it. Okay. So that's one of the reasons we're really, and, and then we're having some battery issue. Having it. It's an old truck. It's a 20 year old truck. I'm glad there's still some value in it. So. Yeah, yeah we, we trade anything we can trade in. We trade in, we trade it in our pickup truck. Uh, so we would do one of two things. We either trade it in or we downgrade it. So my car, which still had plenty of good miles left, went down to the captains for fire prevention, inspections and all that. The car they were using got traded in. So, you know, we, we, we do whatever we can to, to uh, help offset the cost of the vehicles. Great. Thank you. Yep. Um, on the uh, capital plan here, it lists the uh, engine replacement. Mm -hmm. um, and it says the source of funds is six, which says free cash other. But what is the, what is the source? So, so what happens is when I, have to do, when, when I do the spreadsheet, I have to pick something. So I, I in, in the past, when we have the money in the free cash account, we normally purchase large capital, which is a, which is a, a town policy through free cash. Once I get it, it goes up to town hall. They have to determine whether or not they have the free cash for that. The other would be through taxation or through um, through a bond. Correct, John? Yes. So this uh, this item <coughs> was proposed to be funded using ARPA funds, but as you know, the board of selectmen chose not to fund that, which means the only other funding source, given the size and the limited amount of free cash that we have uh, this year, is to fund the project through debt. So it's and it's on the warrant to be funded through a uh, through debt issuance. I just wanted to check because. Yeah. Yep. This was what, this was as this was as submitted. As a two. Yes. This was this was as originally submitted. Mm -hmm. What you have here. And again, I, I don't know where you have the money, so I have to pick an item. Mm -hmm. So like if it was our ambulances, it would be through our revolving account because that's how we do it. So that's how we pick it. Any other questions on the capital projects? No. So if, uh, if I may, it might be helpful um, just to update the board. Um, so the fire station uh, building committee, not the feasibility study committee, which concluded its work, but the fire station building committee the next phase had its, uh, had its first uh, meeting uh, yeah. last, week. last week and so I, I know I've updated you on this but just for somebody who may be watching uh, we're at the next uh, phase so the feasibility study was completed um, and we had uh, funding 3.5 million dollars that was authorized at town meeting to purchase the land and to fund the project manager and the architectural uh, design services so you know the saga over the land. Uh, uh, again, the town did quite well out of that deal because we now have acquired both parcels. They have fully remediated and all structures have been removed. So the site, we have a clean site. And uh, as I said to the building committee last week, uh, the hardest thing about that project is behind us. You have a site in the downtown that we were able to acquire for reasonable uh, costs uh, that can house one central station with appropriate <coughs> circulation and now with the acquisition of that Penman Row parcel behind it there's no conflict uh, with any of the neighbors so we have the site everything is ready to go so uh, I appointed and the Board of Selectmen approved the building committee so that group is now starting to meet uh, their next meeting uh, is in the second I believe the second week of or the Last week, of, uh, last week of March, actually, 
they'll be meeting to interview. We already issued the RFP for the owner's project manager, so they'll be conducting those interviews and selecting an owner's project manager. As of uh, today, the RFQ, the request for qualifications for the architect, uh, hit the street as well. So we're kind of doing those concurrent. So we'll get the owner's project manager on, uh, on the team and then immediately shift gears, interview the architects, and get going. So this next phase is the design development of the station that we're going to be building. So it'll be a relook at, uh, at the conceptual design. Um, now we know we have both parcels to work with. So you know there are a couple of circulation options that are now on the table that might not have been had we not acquired that second parcel on Tenman Row. Uh, so that committee, this is really a, a distinct next phase, and that committee is, is off and running. So uh, that process will take balance of the year moving into the start of uh, into the start of next year. So, so if, uh, you'll start seeing the agendas and the meetings being posted, um, and they'll get moving. Well, they're moving now, uh, quite quite quickly. So, so that's the update uh, on the building. This is the fire station building committee. So, uh, they're, they're up and running. Thank you, John. John, have we got a representative on that committee? Jim on it, for example. Mm -hmm. on the fire station building committee no actually by charter uh, anybody serving on the appropriations committee is not supposed to serve on any other uh, i thought well i thought i knew that but i thought that elaine had served on the yeah it's we've had a few things that have occurred but technically they're not supposed to so we do have a member on there from uh, financial planning committee which is really the focus of the the uh you know the capital budget that's kind of their their primary and so we have a representative from uh, financial planning on the committee. Uh, the chief serves uh, on the committee as well. Uh, there's, um, I hope so. Don <laughs> Rand. Well, you know, it's a bit of a debate uh, by uh, you know lately as to whether or not staff should be serving as voting members on on some of these committees. But <coughs> in particular, I drew a significant distinction between a fire station and like a library or a senior center. The end user is the staff. And uh, so it's important that they have a seat at the table um, because they are going to be the ones that are using the building. It's not really a building that's open to the for public use. Um, there'll be a ready room, a training room that could be used for some public meeting space, but it's really the firefighters that are the ones that they're they're the, the ones that we're designing the building for. So, uh, but anyway, keep your eye out if you're interested. You can tune in and watch those meetings. They'll be taking place on a regular basis now. I would think you'd want the chief on too. So, so since it's such a specific use for the building, you'd want somebody with the expertise to know exactly what's needed, and especially with the rise in cancer rates, what standard in the industry, what technologies can be incorporated, and so forth. So that committee has been appointed and approved, and they're up and running. John, I have another yeah. question. Oh, oh yeah, I, I'm just want to fall back a little bit because I, I I don't want to select the meeting, so I apologize. What was the rationale why the selectmen rejected the ARPA fund? Do, do, we, do we have an answer to that? What, and why would we go want to go into debt, into a debt service thing, as opposed to using ARPA funds? Um, the, the discussion that took place was, uh, I believe, that they were uh, looking at uh, potentially other, other projects that, might, that they might want to fund. Okay. They didn't mention what other, but they just said this one wasn't one of them, I guess. Yeah, there's um, there's the downtown 
uh, revitalization project, which is still uh, still being defined. It, it's not a, an actual project yet, but it's uh, getting closer as that committee wraps up. Uh, and there's been talk of you know White Cliffs as a potential, but uh, they have not gone through. We've had many uh, discussions about starting, but um, we have not had a full discussion on the board regarding uh, the use of the ARPA funds. Okay. All right, thanks. Yep. I'd just like to add, for, just for the record, that this committee supported using the ARPA funds for the fire truck, just so that's part of public record. Uh, as far as our budget goes, um, our budget's made up of two parts. We have the general budget, and I have the revolving account. The revolving account is funds that are uh, that we get from billing for ambulance services. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is the general budget. And the general budget, uh, the budget reflects a $217,931 increase. Uh, there's several reasons for the increase. Uh, obviously, we just. Uh, came to agreement, or not obviously, I apologize, we just came to an agreement with the uh, uh, Firefighters Union on, on a new contract. So those raises and increases uh, for different things are reflected in there. Utilities have gone through the roof. It has been, it's incredible. First time I got a bill this year that was double the previous month, I went, oh my goodness, where am I going to find this money? We've seen that in every department that's come before us. It's, it's unbelievable. Electricity cost. Yeah. And the fire station uses a lot of a lot of electricity, a lot of heat, because it's a big open garage and yeah. then the upstairs, right? So it, but, it, but all the, all the buildings and all the departments have seen a substantial increase. In, it's, and it's, it's completely out of department heads control. It's, uh, some minor increases in vehicle and equipment maintenance simply because costs are going up. Uh, you know, this uh, supply chain is becoming more, more and more difficult to get parts to repair things. I have I've had an ambulance that's been out for a month now waiting for a simple repair. Uh, and it's finally down at the shop, but now we're waiting for the shop to finish to fix it and, and get it back. So that, that, those were some other increases. And there, there's uh, uh, some other things went down, such as our longevity went down a little bit because we had uh, a change in we have some people retired. Uh, I have a long-time captain, 40-some-year uh, captain that's retiring on May 1st. I've had, uh, and, and works over hiring, and I had another guy that had been here for 15 years retired because he's in nursing school and wants to do that. So those bring down some of our payments, but then other things bring it back up. Uh, the biggest thing you're going to see that, that, is, that is affecting the budget is the addition of a deputy chief. Now, when I first came here in 2016, it was shortly after, and uh, I, I don't know if you've all seen it, but there was a study of the, uh, for the, the Center for Public Safety Management that did, did a staffing study uh, on the fire department and the police department. One of the things they recommended at that, they recommended several things, including the fire station and, and everything. But one of, the, one of the things they had recommended, two of the big things they recommended, was increasing from four people to five people per shift and adding the deputy chief. My at that time, when they asked me what I thought, when the board at that time asked me what I thought, I said, without question, we need to support the firefighters. We need to get more people in there. I can do some more work. We can get by. I still have Captain Hurst here who does all the plans reviews. We're okay for a little bit. Um, in 2017, I sat down with then assistant uh, town administrator, uh, Kim Foster, and we drafted up the job summary, and we put it through the personnel uh, board, and we had it approved at that year's <clears throat> town, town meeting. Since then, I've been bugging the guy over here with supplemental uh, requests every year saying, uh, can I have my deputy? Can I have my deputy? Can I have my deputy? <laughs> this year came to a crucial point. So what happened this year is, uh, as I mentioned, Captain Fred Hurst, 
who is my fire prevention officer. He reviews all of our plans, all of our commercial plans for sprinklers, for fire alarms, for egress, for all of that stuff. He does all those major inspections and he has the knowledge and in in, in, in the familiarity with the codes that he can do that. Uh, he announced his retirement. So he's going to be leaving his last day. He's, his last day is May 1st. He's working until 6 and he's taking vacation from 6 o'clock on because <laughs> he doesn't want to work another night shift. I said, Cap, I understand you. You definitely put your time in since a call, he was a call firefighter at 16. He's now 64 and he's retired. So, yeah, he put his time in. Yes, no question. But when he came to me, I uh, was shortly before we had to start submitting things. So I, I did submit uh, to John a supplemental request at this time, stressing the importance of this, of this position. And, and, and this is why. Um, I can do house plan reviews and I can do site plan reviews. But to do a building plan review requires intimate knowledge of the code. Unless you've been doing it for a long time or that's your, your specialty, you don't have that intimate knowledge. I have no one that has that intimate knowledge except for Captain Hurst. So with him leaving, it's really critical. You know, we get a new warehouse in town. I need someone who can review those plans. I get uh, all the work that's going on up at Chops Way right now with the, the marshals and that whole addition over there and then where the Sierra's going in. I need someone who can review those plans and, and respond intelligently and say, okay, you need to mark it this way. You need to do this. You need to move the sprinklers around here. You can't put this demising wall up, all these different things. So I explained to John that this is really a, a, a critical position that we hired. And uh, John was uh, very understanding of that and said, yes, you know, we've, we've held off since 2015. It's now 2023. I think it's time that, that we actually put that position in. One of the other big things is this is the first department I've been in where I haven't had a second in command. So I have four captains. And the captains are awesome, don't get me wrong. I can trust my captains to run a shift and to do everything perfectly. When I go out for a week or two weeks, when I take vacation, I put a captain in charge administratively and I rotate that so they get experience. And then I have my phone with me and my wife yells at me when I get phone calls from John or from when you're on vacation. That's okay, honey, because there's certain things that they just, they may not be able to make a decision on or comfortable because they're not in that position. The other thing is the captains are all in the union. I have no one else within my department other than Lorraine, who's my admin, who's in a different union, who is a non-union person. It is critical when it comes to disciplining, progressive discipline from, right from, from doing evals, that you have another person that you can go to and say, am I off base with this? You know, what do you think about this discipline? What do you think? And, and I used to be that when I was a deputy chief in, in Merrimack, New Hampshire, and when I became a chief, I didn't have that here. And it makes it very difficult. So that was one of the other reasons uh, that I requested it. Um, I really think it's a critical position. Uh, I was thrilled that, that, that John was open to it. Again, it's been, it's not new. It's, it's been, I've been asking for it for, and, and John, I can think back every time at this meeting for the last five, four years, John said, the chief keeps asking and, you know, so I'm asking again. Uh, that is really it for big, big changes in, 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 the, uh, in the budget. We try to, and I've always said this, and I'll say it again here today, that I believe my job is, is to be a, the, uh, I'm a fiscal agent for the people, not just for the board, but for the people in this town. And my job is to provide the best service possible at the best cost possible. I don't believe in spending money we don't need. I turn back money in all the time when we have capital uh, projects that we're able to un uh, uh, underspend. I don't spend the budget when I need it, but when I need something, I'm not afraid to ask for it and justify why, why we need it. And that's why I'm asking for those changes this year. So if I may, through the chair, um, 
So you know, back in December, we sort of set our budget targets. Um, you know, the K-8 schools were <coughs> made a compelling argument for um, uh, a 4.9 percent increase because uh, basically two and a half percent of that was special education costs that they have no discretion or control over. So um, this uh, position, uh, as budgeted, is budgeted at $117,000, which is the midpoint of the range uh, that was approved by the personnel board in town meeting. Um, that is not within that 3.5% uh, target figure. I cannot fit that. But uh, Chief made a compelling argument, and, uh, and that's why we're, we're bringing it forward for, for consideration. Uh, it's been a long time since we've added a full staff person. Um, frankly, uh, you know, one of my recommendations, probably my most um, passionate recommendation to the select board has been to use some ARPA money to do a full staffing study across all departments because um, every department has and will request additional staffing. And uh, just like uh, the last time we did the review, the the study that the chief made reference to that was done by a, you know, a firm out of D.C. It was actually through the International City Managers Association. It was part of their consulting arm. We brought them in uh, to get an objective review. And they did a full operational review, not just a staffing study, but a full operational review of both the police department and the fire department. Because in order to understand how staffing fits in, you need to look at the whole service delivery model, not just the one that you have. That may not be the most efficient. But uh, uh, we did uh, internally, we did a staffing review, uh, looked at all the departments, made a couple tweaks here and there. Um, but the public safety, both police and fire, at the time were requesting, and not this chief, um, but the prior chief was requesting like 10 new positions. And uh, we acknowledge that there's probably a need there, but it's, you know, that's a, that's a, a steep number. And then right after that, not the current police chief, but the prior one, again, wanted 10 more positions as well. So I said, listen, uh, there's a need here. There's a lot of data that needs to go, be gone through. So we brought in using mitigation funds from the mall because that was one of the impetus for why, you know, we needed more staff. And so we used um, funds from uh, mitigation funds from the mall to uh, do a comprehensive review. And out of that review came the recommendation for in the police department, it was to add uh, two, two officers, not ten, but add two officers, uh, and not because of workload, but because of mostly because of officer safety on the midnight to 8 a.m. shift, uh, and then a swing sergeant uh, be promoted. Uh, in the fire department, as the chief said, it was to add uh, a, a position for each shift from four to five, uh, allowed them then to run an ambulance and a, a piece of apparatus, um, and it sort of was a sweet spot where we got the most bang for the buck. That was completely 100 uh, percent supported by this committee at the time and what we did is we phased the positions in one a year <clears throat> uh, so over a period of you know four or five years we worked in those uh those uh, five positions in total between police and fire uh, but as the chief said we did stall on the deputy chief position uh, which was recommended just as strongly as the other ones that we added uh, we just couldn't fit it and um and it's just been uh, competing needs. But as the chief said, uh, we're getting to the point now where it's a, it's a, the timing with the, with the changeover in the staff makes it more critical. The other thing that he did, I'm not sure if he mentioned, when no. I was whispering on the side, is 
uh, as much as I'd like to keep this guy until he's in his 70s, um, he's he's entering his last few years I here. Lately, yeah. So he has to. He's talking about Fred Hurst, and but uh, but uh, he's approaching the mandatory retirement age where he can't continue even if he wants to. So we need to have some succession planning uh, in that department where we're losing this uh, long-time institutional knowledge with the captain that handles this very specialty area that. Uh, by the job description would go to a deputy chief, uh, but also in terms of the, uh, the secession planning and the transition, um, we need to start giving some serious thought to that for the department as a whole. And that's why this position mm -hmm. kind of boiled to the top and is in, uh, for inclusion in this uh, budget request. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, John, because that secession is very important. You know, if you bring somebody on at the last second and try to train them, it just, it makes it very difficult. So I'm, I'm not going to say how to run the department, but w one of the four captains, are any of them qualified to take that position? None of them are interested. None of them are interested. Okay. I didn't know that part. <laughs> so so th there, there's a couple of reasons. <laughs> and, and, and I can relate very well because when I went from captain to assistant chief or to deputy chief, it happened to me, you take a pay cut. Oh, really? You take a big pay cut because you lose all of your overtime. You become a salary. Oh, it's a salary position. You're supposed to have nights and weekends off. But you're still working the hours. <laughs> yeah. So how many times have I called you on a night or a weekend? Yeah. Uh, uh, I one, see. I see yeah, now. Yeah, so, so none of them are. And, and two out of the three, besides Captain Hurst, two out of the three are coming up on retirement as well. They're coming up on their final two years. No. I, I, okay. Yeah. You, you explain it to me. I understand. There's a, there's a significant amount of institutional uh, memory that is just ready to exit the building. And so getting a, another key uh, position in. I think will provide some some continuity for that uh, for that transition that we're going to be facing. Um, the one thing the chief doesn't mention is they you know you do take a pay cut, but on the flip side, uh, your salary is all pensionable, yes. whereas overtime is not. not. So you see that Very you know true. some of the younger staff is more interested earlier on, not so much in the advancement as in working the overtime and making the money. And then as they start to mature and they don't want to work those, you know, uh, those hours uh, and 24-hour shifts and so forth, uh, then they start to, to migrate over into management. But it is, you know, it is difficult because in that middle position, you, uh, you know, you are foregoing, you know, access to that, to that overtime, which is why the salary is uh, where it's at. Uh, again, it's at the midpoint, and, and the salary range was based on a market analysis. So we don't pick these numbers out of the out of the air. So that's a market analysis and just trying to be realistic. I don't want to put it in the budget at the bottom of the range. You know, if we're really not going to get somebody, you want somebody with a certain amount of experience. So oftentimes we have openings. We'll get the you know the midpoint down for a starting uh, position. But it depends on who comes into the into the recruitment process. Right. Can I, but, before sure. um, I know from previous experience that there's there's a real difficulty in finding firefighters right now. Firefighter paramedics are impossible. So even if, or when we do go out to hire a deputy, what do you think the time frame for bringing that person on would be? Do you have any idea how long it would take to find somebody to fill? No, and that, that's a really fair question. My, my intent would be to post it for, for four weeks. And uh, what you're going to get is a captain who's passionate about code enforcement from another department. Who, who wants to make that step because, and most people that take that step, they're not doing it because of the weekends and nights off, they're not doing it because of the money, because they want to make a difference. 
And someone who's really passionate about codes, they're really geeky people, but those are the people we need in that position because they understand that code. So I'm assuming a month posting and then the promotional process, as I always do, I want members of the, of the, uh, of, of the, the town, of the select board to sit in on that process. So they, especially as John mentioned, this is gonna be for succession planning, right? So when I leave, shouldn't they have a, a say in sure. who's there? That just kind of makes sense. So I, I want them to be part of that, pro that process. So that would be another couple, two, three, four weeks and then get them on board. So probably a month or two at least. Just to hire a firefighter now takes us about two months. Yeah. When we find one. But you'll be looking also uh, in an ideal world, uh, somebody who also is interested in becoming a chief. Yes. Because yeah. at some point, you know, that's the, you know, that's the way in. If, you, if, you, if somebody's ambitious uh, and wants to be a fire chief, you have to come up through the ranks, and at some point you have to go from being a union employee to management, and the deputy is, is, the, is the, that, that turning point. That in and of itself is quite the transition. Going from being a member of the union right. to being a member of management is a real shocker. And then eventually you find yourself going, oh, these union guys, what are they asking for? I just don't get it. Right. One other thing, yes, please. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Um, if you were to hire a deputy chief mm -hmm. with the idea that they were going to transition into the chief role, how long would it take for that person to be qualified or have the necessary experience and knowledge in order to be chief? Like to me, like when you look at around town, how many houses are there in town? How many roads do they have to know? Like it's just a lot of knowledge that needs to transition from one person to the it's other. It's a great question, but that's not what they need to learn. Putting the fires out, putting the wet stuff on the red stuff, isn't that hard. I mean, there's techniques, and we've, we've learned it as we're coming up through. When you get into management, it's dealing with labor. It's dealing you know, with progressive discipline, dealing with the citizens, or going out and telling somebody, I'm sorry, you can't do that. It's against the code, and I'm going to have to shut you down. And, and that's all this stuff. That, and that takes a while to learn. I was, I was, I was a deputy chief, so I, was, uh, I made deputy chief in 21. I made assistant deputy chief in 21, and I didn't take the chief's position until uh, 2010, right? Because you needed, I needed that nine years to say, okay, tell me about this job. And, and learning how, because learning that interaction, becoming a leader, even, even if you already have leadership skills, it's really hard. It's yeah. hard from the other end, and, and that's what it takes a while learning. Developing rules, developing policies that are, everyone can agree to, and, and learning how to work with um, some unique people. How's that? With a bunch of different personalities, it's really difficult. Right. But well, I, I know from a like, professional standpoint, working and building companies, how important it is to have that transition. Yes. And especially when you're talking, for all intents and purposes, a president and CEO level of, of the department, you can't bring somebody in and train them for two weeks and have them take over. Without it's, question, three years, which is what I'm looking at right now, is about the minimum I would want to go. Uh, you can bring someone in with no experience and make them chief, but then he's going to stump, he or she is going to stumble and trip and, and have issues for quite a while, which leads to more problems on the town administrator and in, uh, on assistant town and in, on HR issues. So you really want someone who... And they get there. frustrated, and then they're like, I'm no good at this, and they want to... And leave, they walk and away. Happy, and you're left with nobody. Yeah. And one of the other big things with the deputy chief, and I mentioned at the very beginning how busy we were. So you know we do what's called 26F, which are resale inspections. Every time you sell your house, we have to come out and inspect it. Okay? Every time you have an LP tank put in, we have to come out and inspect it. Every time you have an oil tank put in or removed, or an oil burner put in or removed, we have to come out and inspect it. We inspect all new houses. That's all being done right now by shift personnel. 
And what we do is we schedule those inspections in a window from one to four. And people yell at us. Well, why can't you just be here? I said, well, we're like the cable guy. You know, we can't necessarily be there. But here's the problem. If I tell you I'm going to be there at one and I get a med call, I think the med call is more important for us to go to than to come do your inspection. It's putting a huge burden on these guys that are already running all these calls. And now their captains are doing inspections five, six, seven o'clock at night because they didn't get to them at the one, two, three, or four o'clock one. So that's another area that that deputy chief would be allowed, would help relieve that pressure on the on-duty guys and give them a little breathing room to be able to do maybe some additional training or to not worry about, okay, I got to run back and you take this call and I'm going to go take the car and go do the inspection. Because people, and I understand, I understand people getting frustrated. I really do. I mean, haven't we all sat there waiting for the guy to show up? He said he'll be there at noon. Yeah. Right. So I this would eliminate. I, I apologize for keeping it to the You stuff. interrupt all you want, Tim. <laughs> By having the deputy deputy there mm -hmm. to relieve some of these additional stresses, will that in any way reduce overtime? Probably not. Okay. Okay, but, but probably not uh, because it, it'll be a salary position. We won't use that position to fill any. Any but just by freeing positions. the guys up so they but don't have to go to a home don't inspection. Feed them out. So what could happen is we may not have to do a recall. So right now, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever we get past a certain level of alarms, you have to do a recall, and off-duty personnel can come back at time and a half for any, any hour or portion thereof. If they're there for an hour and a minute, it's two hours. If they're there for two hours and a minute, it's three hours. Yeah. Right? So with our call volume, we tend to do a lot more recalls now than we ever used to do. So there may be some relief in that, in that, but that would all depend on, we'd have to look at it operationally. But I don't want to see what would be significant enough to make a huge difference in our, in our overtime numbers. Okay. I thank you for asking that question. I'd like to be as honest with you guys as possible. Oh, I, I, I appreciate yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But even if it saves... A couple of recalls, yeah. You know, a couple hours every week, it adds up over the course of the year. Sure. You know, and plus it's, I think of the... I know the guys like to work and have, or the, the, the firefighters like to have the overtime, but reducing the workload's got to be... Here's where it will save, Tim. Right now I have somebody who needs an inspection on a Tuesday. Captain Hurst works one day on, two days off, one day on, four days off. If he's not working on that day, I have to bring him in a time and a half. And he's been really great with me. Chief, I'll come in, I'll, I'll do that inspection for you, but I'm not going to expect him to do it for free, I'm going to pay him for it. So that could be a two-hour inspection. Right, so that's that. That is where you where you would recognize the savings that he's there Monday through Friday, or if one has to be done on a weekend, which occasionally we do that, or it has to be done in the evening. He's a it's a he or she is a salaried position, and they can fill that. So yeah, that there you would recognize the savings. Okay, thank you. If I can just add, I know the chief touched upon this, but uh, again, usually uh, when we go through the budget reviews, the public safety are probably the first round they come in, we start with the largest departments uh, in terms of the budget impacts and, uh, and then fill in the, the spaces around that. So normally it's public safety that came, came in. Um, he was scheduled to come in a couple of times and we, we bumped him and I know he, he mentioned it, but I just want to make sure that people heard this. So we were in a very protracted uh, negotiations with the fire union and I'm not telling tales outside of school at this point, we've settled the contract. Um, but it uh, was a very long negotiation, and uh, we were uh, actually in mediation. So firefighters, police officers, they cannot strike their public safety. So their remedy is to go to the Joint Labor Management Committee. It's a mediation <coughs> arbitration process. So we were uh, in mediation and heading into arbitration to try to get that contract settled. And uh, I, don't know, I think maybe they got nervous that uh, I was leaving and 
maybe the devil you know is better than the one you don't, um, but uh, we were able to settle the contract. And so uh, actually sitting here today, well, we've got one more, um, which should be wrapped up hopefully on Monday. Uh, so uh, we have to go back and, you know, we're, we've been constantly revising budgets as, uh, <clears throat> as these contracts settle. And, uh, but the fire, that's one of the reasons why he's coming in at this point, is that that, that contract is now settled. Um, it's also why we're trying to figure out what the impact, you know, was going to be uh, in terms of potentially adding in a deputy chief. That's why it's coming. That's why he's at the end of the process and why, you know, uh, despite the fact that we have spoken about the deputy chief position for years, um, I know the folks that were on when we went through that, some of you were on the committee when we went through that, that study, at least the three of you were on. And so those conversations happened, you know, year after year afterwards. And, um, but again, at some point, at some point you have to pick a, a couple of key positions and start to try to work some of this staffing in. Uh, I think it's one of the issues, as I said, once I'm gone, uh, the board is really going to need to, to take up because, um, you know, we've, we've run a, we run a pretty lean operation here, a very lean operation. You know, you've mentioned, uh, you know, like the town of Westboro right next door, you know, we're 16,000 there, you know, 18, 19,000, know, they have 38 more people in DPW alone, you know, so we do, we, it, we get great value, uh, but one of the things that came through is, you know, coming out of the pandemic, you know, we really maxed, you know, everybody out and we didn't have any extra capacity. And when somebody went down, whole departments, you know, you know, went down. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, depth to the bench. You know, we have, you know, a department head and no assistant. Like in this case, you get a, a chief and there's no deputy. Or you have the finance director who is also the town accountant. You know, uh, we have a lot of those types of positions, and through the pandemic, you know, we really, we really found that uh, that lack of that that extra little bit of capacity really, really took a toll on the organization. Um, but so that's something that's a larger discussion moving forward. Um, but we can't just keep piling work onto these departments without augmenting the staffing, and that can't be done in a vacuum with whoever screams the loudest. You know, sometimes it's, you know, public safety will get your attention, but, you know, another department, like, say, the library maybe doesn't. Uh, it really needs to be done holistically. It needs to be looked at across the board. There need to be clear priorities and a plan. I think one of the reasons why the last uh, staffing study that we did was so successful was because we had a plan, but then we had a plan to implement that plan. And as long as people un understand that there, there's an implementation that will happen, they're willing to wait, but it shouldn't just be, you know, what will happen is it will just be a free-for-all while well, everybody will be asking for staff and and it's gonna put um, the advisory boards and committees uh, in a difficult position. Uh, one thing I'd like to think I've always done in the years that I've been here is I never bring a messy issue to you that hasn't been researched and framed up. So not battling over whether or not we need 10 more police officers, let's find out, let's get the data, let's do this professionally. And then we all agree on the information. And when you agree on the information, now, now you can come up with a plan. Well, if you're fighting over agreement on the information about whether or not it's 10 staff or two, you're not going to get there. So that's kind of the position I see this organization and we're at that crossroads where, and with my departure, I think it's a good time to look at this uh, because we're finding that 
we're having trouble kind of keeping up in some departments, and but it needs to be looked at uh, across across the organization. Uh, a key aspect of that as well is to look at uh, we keep adding uh, boards and committees. We've added a diversity and inclusion committee. We've added a master plan implementation committee. We're now adding a traffic safety committee. Uh, there's people talking about adding sustainability committee. Uh, we're adding, you know, so we've added all these committees. So we need to take a hard look at the committees that we have now and start to eliminate some of those to free up staff. You know, there are some committees that kind of, for, I'll pick on one, you know, the cable access committee. It, you know, hasn't been a functional committee in years because it's not enough work for people to do to stay engaged. Well, that's maybe one that we should, you know, look at. And there's a few others. But as part of this, it's the staffing, but it's also the committee uh, uh, composition as well and how that all plays into staff, you know, staff liaisons and what they're responsible for. So I'm just planting that seed now. So when you hear about, you know, a staffing study that I hope you get behind it because that's going to allow people like you in your positions as advisory committee to to make an informed decision. And you're not going to get there by getting the data by yourselves internally. You need an objective uh, party to come in to do this and frame it up in a way where you can make intelligent decisions about the direction of the town. So yeah. just, just unbiased, unbiased information. Yeah. John exactly. makes a really good point about duties as well. So I'm the fire chief. I'm also in charge of the local emergency planning committee. I'm also the emergency management director. So when a crisis happens, what hat do I put on? And if I put on my emergency direct management, who puts on the fire chief's hat, right? So it's really, it's really, and right now it's me. <laughs> and luckily I have John, who is terrific, but John's leaving. Right, and so. And just to throw one more wrench into yeah. it, and what if they all needed to get on Zoom? Yeah, why? <laughs> well, I was just gonna, well, who ran Zoom? <laughs> well, that's what I was just gonna say. Like, when you talk about, you talk about, um, you know, limited uh, uh, depth to the bench. When we all went to remote, remote meetings, right, this guy here is the one that led the charge to deal with uh, setting up Zoom meetings and training staff and so forth. Um, and again, during the pandemic, remember we lost the, our health director, right? He too stressed out, too much stress for him, so he quit. There is no assistant health director. So you know who stepped in and took that? Me, through some on him, through some on the assistant. You know, so every time we lost our town planner, or you know, she retired, master plan implementation committee. I started doing that. Brought the the, the DPW director, who by the way doesn't have a deputy. You know, we're all kind of filling in, and you know, and when things are under the best of circumstances, you can get by. But when you're taxed, when your organization get taxed, it gets taxed uh, with an emergency in particular, it it starts to break down. One thing, uh, and I'll, I'll end on this, is one thing that I did want to mention is after the pandemic was over, one thing that the fire chief does with every major incident, and I think this is a terrific process, is we do a hot wash, basically. We do a, a debriefing. We go through what did we do well, what could we have done better, how do we improve our plans and our attack next time. And we did that after the pandemic and uh, with all the department heads. And one thing we all said is, boy, did we all get pushed to the limit. But the but the really the, the first comment that was made was you know you know we got through we got by because we had such great camaraderie and communication with the department heads there was no sandbox issues as the chief <laughs> likes to say uh, everybody got along supported each other filled in when we needed to and that's how we got by the culture is how we got by but you can only do that for so long before and take advantage of people before they 
I say, you know, I need, I need help. I'll stop there. Questions? It reminds me a lot of a startup environment. Yes. <clears throat> so a lot of startups yeah, that I've worked with. That's you, a very good point. Yeah. You, you staff as minimally as possible, and you just work everybody, and you put on as many, take on as many different roles as possible until you can start to afford to, to hire people and that are expertise them, in their areas. You give them all kinds of incentives. My brother's done several startups. Yeah. Been, you know, so we're going to give you this much, in, uh, this many stockings. Or this many, so it works out if everything works out well, but yes. you kill yourself to get there. Yeah. Any questions? Oh, come on, I'm not that good. I appreciate your time. Uh, I, I will take a moment, as I do every time I uh, appear in front of the, either this board or, or, the, or um, planning, and say, if you ever have questions, if you ever want to come down to the fire station, if you ever want to take a look around and see what we got and see our operations and talk to me, pick up the phone. That's why I'm here. Okay, give me a call. I'd love to sit down with you and say, hey, this is how we do things. And you may say, well, Jared, think about this. And Tim and I have joked around, I'm a data geek. And Tim, I got this new reporting system. He'd love it. It's awesome. I'll have to come down. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, it <laughs> I'll be the only one to come down and sit in front of the computer. It gives you these dashboards and it's all kinds of stuff. But what, what's important is you have that, that data so I can say, this is why. Not because there's a dead baby I'm going to throw on a table or not because, oh, my God, things are going to be. This is why. Yeah. So if you have questions, please. Otherwise, thank you. thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chief. Uh, next on our agenda is the revised ARHS fiscal year 2024 assessment and athletic complex cost estimate. Uh, so in your packet is a memo from the um, superintendent. So as you know, when he met with you, uh, originally he did not have the current year's uh, state aid. It had not been released yet with the change in administration. The governor, the new governor, had until March 1st to provide um, her, uh, her budget. So um, oddly enough, uh, so the, the superintendent was using fiscal 2023 state aid numbers, which obviously you think will go up. Well, the state aid numbers did go up. However, uh, they also changed our minimum local contribution, Bob D'Amico's favorite uh, topic. Uh, this is the minimum that we have to pay as a, as a community. And so um, this is somewhat counterintuitive, but we have more state aid, but our North Burles assessment actually wound up going up from using last year's state aid. So. Um, there's a bunch of several different calculations in here, but the bottom line is when the, the superintendent met with you, he was projecting uh, a 4.12% increase in the assessment, and based on these numbers, the uh, that assessment's going to go up 4.34%. So uh, it's not earth-shattering, but it's you know it's not what was presented. So I asked him to close the communication loop. I don't think it's going to change your perspective on anything. Uh, it is it kind of is what it is. Um, the basic budget itself, the overall budget, has not changed. It's just the way the expenses have been carved up due to the state uh, funding formulas. And none of these things are, are in our control? No, none of these are in our control. There is one other thing in here which does, makes no sense to me uh, because uh, those of you that tuned in when we met with our legislative delegation knows that uh, they're all committed to increasing regional transportation. Uh, when uh, communities originally regionalized, the carrot that the state held out was if you, if two small towns regionalized, like Northboro, Southboro, the state said it will pick up 
the transportation costs. So there was an incentive there to get some economies of scale. Well, they've never really funded it 100% ever. I, that's classic for the state, you know. It's like all the other incentives they give you, they then walk away from them usually at some point, <laughs> or they just never fully fund it. So it's hovered around 85%. Uh, I believe under the governor's budget, it was going to 90 But we have a commitment from the legislative delegation that they're looking to increase the funding. Whether or not it'll get to 100%, I don't know. But you see it in the uh, superintendent's memo, uh, the biggest chunk of the impact is that regional transportation aid decreased by $116,000. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and I'm not sure if that will survive the legislature. So uh, typically the way it works is, you know, the governor's budget is usually due the third week in January. Uh, it's based on, you know, the revenue consensus hearing that they hold. Uh, as it goes through, it's the House and then the Senate. And as that budget process unfolds, typically we don't know what our final state aid numbers are until well after town meeting sometime, you know, late April or June. So, but historically, uh, unless there's something really bad happening, a recession or a pandemic, historically the numbers creep up a little bit. Not huge. Like, you know, it might be the difference between getting right. like one and a half percent state aid to two percent state aid, right? So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that, you know, the regional transportation number and the state aid numbers, the, the minimum aid per, per pupil, which is $30, the MMA in the, in the town is advocating for $100, you know, that would all have a, a, a raising impact on the, on the state aid, which would have a depreciating impact on our assessment. So as it indicated in the memo, if they receive more state aid, if regional transportation doesn't get cut but actually gets increased, uh, what we'll be looking at is later in the fiscal year, they'll revote the assessments and reduce them, which has happened in the past. So, so that's just an update from the superintendent. Yeah. Um, so on these figures that are presented in the memo here, um, I, there's a distinction between two types of uh, changes. One of them is chapter is in one group you have chapter 70 funding increasing and then regional transportation aid decreasing. Right. So that's a net loss of eighty thousand dollars from in state aid. Now the other figures just simply relate to how the total of assessment is divvied up between North and <coughs> based on wealth factors and largely. So it's it's source of never-ending surprise to me that the shift is shifting more of <laughs> the total assessment onto Northboro, away from Southboro. Uh, you have to remember, too, that then, then you also have to layer in the other variable, which is enrollment. So even if, oh, you, no. even if you kids can shift your share of that budget significantly. Oh, yes, but that was, that was set at the time that we met with the superintendent. I'm yes. Like, okay, got the numbers, fine. Now, uh, and that determines how everything above minimum local contributions Correct. is divvied up. But the minimum local contributions themselves shifted in such a way Yes. As to shift costs to from the north and it's and it's based again on a number of uh, wealth factors. For a while, when you go back, we were getting uh, pretty hammered with our minimum local aid contribution, 
And uh, one of the things that gets taken into consideration is your, is your tax base. And so when Northboro got all this great economic development, when the mall went in, we got hit because it ripples through this and, and it shifted more of the burden onto Northboro, despite the fact that on a per capita or household income, or uh, in terms of the value of a single family home, in, in, in those uh, variables, Southboro's wealth is higher than in terms of the tax base. And when we get, again, significant economic development, that swings things over. So it's a, it's a frustrating, complicated, uh, dysfunctional formula. And uh, the problem is everybody, everybody who looks at it knows it doesn't work, but there's no political will to fix it because in order to fix it, there'd be real winners and losers. I'll, I'll, I'll show, throw one more out for you. So oftentimes I, in, my, in, my, in my tenure here, I've heard people say, town of Shrewsbury has so much lower taxes. I'm like, yes, they do. Do you want to know why? Because when Ed Reform came in, things got the formula locked certain things into place. Now Shrewsbury is pretty comparable to the town of Northboro, right? They get 20% of their budget in state aid. We get 8%. If I got their state aid, I, you would have their tax bill. There's no magic there. They're well, you know, they're, you know, but also the other thing you've seen over there is, you know, their tax bills have just escalated. They've had overrides and, and everything. Their tax bills are going up. But fundamentally, they get so much more in state aid because of this formula that was locked into place based on the, the, um, the variables that were, you know, at the time. And so now you have other communities now who have come up, they've grown, their wealth factors have changed, but they're still being, you know, that part of the formula still holding. So it's, like I said, it's not fair. Uh, but to your point, Tony, when you look at this, you know, we're getting another 37,000, but then they cut 116,000 out of our transportation. Mm -hmm. When our legislative delegation came in to meet with us, they were touting how great it is that the state is putting another $458 million in Chapter 70 education aid. How much are you seeing? 37,000. We're not seeing anything or very little at the moment. So when people say, well, what's, why are my taxes going up? That is a major factor. If, if as, your, as a partner, state aid, is shrinking as a percentage of your revenues, well, how, where's that being made up? It's going to be made up in taxes. And the Student Opportunity Act, and I don't want to get too far aside, I know you've heard this before, but they passed the Student Opportunity Act. The Student Opportunity Act is designed to divert all most new state revenues towards districts in need. So 70, over 70% 70 of all new Chapter 78, that $458 million roughly, it might be 568 million, 568 million dollars. 70% of that's going to 30 districts. All the other districts like Northboro are sharing about 41 million dollars of new aid. Not not including what happens when your minimum local contribution changes. So it's it's hard to follow. It's complicated. Um, but at least I just want you to have the information so you know what's happening. This is where we stand at the moment. I'm cautiously optimistic that. You know, the state revenues are very strong right now, and, um, and there's a lot of pressure on them to increase some revenue sharing under the unrestricted general government aid account. So under the uh, unrestricted aid account, um, 
their revenue forecast or there's consensus hearing revenue forecast is that it's going to go up 1.6 percent. Um, but yet their their revenues are going to go up significantly more than that. And so the MMA is making the argument that we need to go up at, at, a, at a similar proportion. So there's probably a much longer explanation. Uh, but I always like to, you know, when things change, I want to close the loop. I don't think it's a material difference, but you know, from what you were presented. The other thing, too, is in terms of the official record, if someone goes back and looks at that meeting and pulls the packet, which is on the website, and look at it, things don't match up. I want, the re I want continuity in the record for why these things have changed. Okay. So the second component of that, if I may, through the chair, is the athletic complex uh, cost estimate. So when the superintendent came uh, and met with you, uh, he was using a, an early 90% uh, design cost estimate. So as a project moves through its, um, its process, you know, you've got conceptual design, design you know, development, construction, bid documents. And at each stage, at certain key points, they'll get a cost estimate. So uh, the presentation that you were provided showed uh, the uh, project at the time at, uh, this is the athletic complex at uh, $7,540,000 roughly. So now they've got, it, it put it out to bid, so they have bid numbers now. And so the project cost is now $7,960,000. So North Borough's share of that project uh, based on the regional agreement and the formula that's contained in that document, uh, our share of that uh, project cost is up by about $262,000. So this is more, uh, again, these are bid level cost estimates, so they've, they've gone out. Um, keep in mind now, this is the construction. This is actually the, 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 the construction and soft cost for the project. What's not included, just like it would be with any uh, capital project. Uh, this doesn't include the um, financing costs. You know, so this, this project will be issued, um, uh, financed with debt. That debt will be apportioned through the regional agreement to Northboro and Southboro. What I gave you in your packet is an updated presentation dated February 15th. <clears throat> the project itself is the same, uh, but there's um, about halfway through, you can see the estimated project costs, and then there's a project financing schedule that's included in here based on that. And on the, on the page after that is the uh, town of Northborough's estimated share of the overall project cost with financing over, um, I believe it's 10 or 15 years. So, so the average single-family home uh, in the beginning will be about $97 peaks at $139 in fiscal 2026, and then thereafter it's about $72 for the balance uh, on an annual basis. So, but those are the costs. And again, I think they're using, uh, I want to say it's probably a 4.5% uh, interest rate assumption, but it'll be whatever it is when we actually go out to the market, or when the regional high school goes out to the market. Uh, keep in mind too, with regard to that project, um, we aren't we aren't issuing the debt. Uh, so the town of Southboro has to approve the project, and Northboro has to approve the project, and then the 
regional high school will issue the debt and the uh, debt service then will be apportioned through the formula and the regional agreement. Just again, want to give you an update on that project because again, you had one number at, at an earlier estimate and this is the, the current one. Any questions? Next on the agenda is the fiscal year 2023 reserve fund transfers, Aspect Valley Assessment, Snow and Ice Overdraft, Treasurer's Office Tax Bill Printing. So uh, uh, Jason Little, Finance Director, is here tonight. Do you want to come up and see if there's any questions? Um, but uh, I'm going to go through the memo. Uh, you met with Aspect uh, Valley Tech, and uh, they talked to explain um, one of the complicating factors for their budget this year was that uh, that the uh, FY23 assessment was not uh, was shorted by our minimum local contribution. There's those those, those three words again. Um, originally, the governor uh, Governor Baker had made a recommendation to the state legislature to allow the, uh, municipalities to use some of their ESSER two funds. Now, ESSER two funds are the school equivalent of ARPA funds. It's basically pandemic grants. And so the governor uh, made the recommendation that to allow districts to use some of their uh, pandemic funding uh, to uh, offset the town's minimum local contribution. Unfortunately, the Mass Legislature never enacted that. So ASABIT had proceeded, assuming that that was the, going to happen, and it didn't happen. And so the long and short of it is that based on the minimum local contribution, uh, our assessment for fiscal 23 is about uh, a little over you know, $31,365 short. So we don't really have any discretion in that. Um, that is, uh, we need to pay that. So uh, on the one hand, I appreciate the fact that ASABET was, you know, uh, using their grant funds to reduce our assessment. They, you know, they thought that was a good idea. Unfortunately, you know, what we probably should have done in retrospect, I think everybody assumed that that was going to pass the legislature. Uh, we probably should have paid the full assessment and then had them reduce our assessment. Uh, but that's not how they did it for whatever reason. And so here we are. So one of the things that's needed uh, tonight is to uh, transfer uh, from the reserve account that 31365 uh, for the Asset Valley uh, assessment. And by the way, it's not just us, all member towns are in the exact same position and need to do the same thing. Uh, Jason, you want to speak to the, uh, the treasurers and the, uh, and the snow and ice? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks for having me here. Um, from the memo, I mean, I think the memo lays out the amount pretty clearly. I mean, $4,600 is a, is a pretty low amount to be coming forward and asking for a transfer for, but it um, kind of reveals that uh, we don't ask for anything in our budgets that we don't need. So um, there, there's really no capacity to fund the increase for the, for the tax bill printer. Um, unfortunately, after we set the budget, we had worked with um, uh, Globe Direct was the, the bill printer. They decided they were getting out of the market, and we didn't find out about this until after town meeting. Um, we need to print tax bills. We need to send them to residents. So um, we need to do this. 
um, we'll have a deficit if we if we don't cover this. So basically, um, we went out to bid. We got competitive quotes, um, and so we're working with uh, the same uh, vendor that uh, does the uh, the motor vehicle bills. So um, our property tax bills and the motor vehicle bills. So we'll realize some um, economies of scale. I think working with with a quality vendor. Um, that that's forty six hundred dollars. Hey, Jason, just out of curiosity, is there is there any way to go electronic with that, or is there legal reasons why you have to send out? Well, well, we do have to operate under um, Mass General Law, so we are required to notify everybody of their tax bill amounts and so forth. Um, there are some provisions where we can um, allow people to opt into electronic tax bills, where we'd have to keep a record of somebody. I, I believe they have to make the request in writing that they get the their bill in electronically and we we really don't have the capacity to enact like a major undertaking of you know maintaining a database of who's requested getting a bill um, electronically right. versus one that's printed but um, it's it's maybe on the horizon in the future because it is kind of an antiquated process of producing a tax bill and mailing it but um, due to legal reasons I mean a lot of times things documents have to be produced paper form and and people have to have the opportunity to view those documents so right that, that's yeah really well, just a, that. just a, a quite i get no, it's, it's all question. all or nothing type of thing either everybody does it or you can't do it it's right right and and again as as technology advances down the road maybe more people will be um signing up for that but um we haven't encountered that yet okay thank you and uh all right, so um, usually at the end of the year, we um, come forward with a, a snow and ice deficit to cover it within the same fiscal year. Snow and ice is a little different from every other appropriation in um, the town budget, whereas uh, we can overexpend that legally. Um, at this point in the year, it's um, we, we know what we're over the, the $437,000 that we've appropriated this year. So. Um, we're coming forward asking for a transfer because we, we know that amount. So um, I have my fingers crossed. We won't be back asking for another transfer later, but um, it's You know we're getting a snowstorm now yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny when we got the last snowstorm, I was sitting at home going, transfer, transfer. <laughs> Watching the trucks go by, I knew it was coming. You know, the thing is, uh, and again, I had sent you out by email a copy of the DPW uh, director's uh, memo. And you know he goes through and he lists out every single snow event that we have, how much snow we got, the duration, and, and roughly you know what it would have cost us. Well, you know, it wasn't a lot of snow, but when you have when it doesn't snow and it rains, and then it's at nice. night the temperature drops down, it's icing. And uh, the big expense was uh, there, there were 11 ice-only events. And the good news is when it's only ice, it's our employees we don't have to call in the contractors uh, when it snows uh, and we can't handle it we have to call in the the contractors and that's when the costs really go through uh, a, a much uh, much higher rate um, but the issue is we threw down a lot of salt and salt uh, is up ten dollars a ton you know and so uh, so we went through a lot of salt a lot of icing events so you know on the one hand people are like boy how you know you know why is the budget you know overexpended um, and we, we typically we budget a six-year rolling average. You know there are years that we are under we are under budget. You know I was 
kind of hoping this was going to be one of them. In fact, the, the first initial blush at, at looking at this was, oh, we're right at a, just at 100%, and if we don't get anything else, we'll be over. And then, uh, then uh, Jason uh, let me know that there were a couple of bills for salt uh, delivery that was uh, in the mix there. And so, in fact, you know, we're just uh, by, snow, by, by, by uh, snow and ice budget overdrafts, this is pretty. This is very, very minor. Um, but our practice in town has always been to, if there's an overage, that we deal with it within the current fiscal year. Even though you legal, legally could kick it to the next year, we find that that skews the numbers. When you start looking at the history, we like to deal with the expenses within the fiscal year. So, uh, and uh, one other comment just in terms of like the bill, you know, at the end of the year, we're clearly going to finish in the black. But if, you know, we appropriate a town meeting those individual line items, you can't exceed those. So. Treasurer's office literally doesn't have 4,700 bucks or 4,600 bucks, so that's right. why that's why they're here. And Jason won't let them, even though it's part of his department, won't let them pay a bill if the money if there isn't a source for the money. So if you're overdrafted, then you need to come in here for the for the reserve account transfer. So that's why it seems like a small thing, and it's kind of like we. And I don't remember really that us ever really getting into that situation. Usually it's a year end, and it's snow and ice. Uh, that typically does it, or a major building, you know, issue a boiler goes or something like that. So. Well, Dad, I, I I actually appreciate seeing small amounts like that because it shows a level of of detail and transparency into everything that's going on. So, I think that's a small small amount of monies are just as important as big amounts. So, thank so you. By way of reference, you've got uh, there's one hundred seventy five thousand dollars in the account. Uh, and by the way, this is why we have the reserve account because otherwise you'd have to have a special town meeting to pay to pay a $4,600 bill. Um, so uh, there's 175000 in the account. Uh, the total transfers being requested tonight are 81965 and that would leave uh, $93,035 remaining in the reserve account at this stage of the game. Yeah. Um, should I read the motion? Yes. I move to approve the three appropriations committee reserve fund transfer request totaling $81,965 as presented in the finance director's March 20th, 2023 memo pursuant to Massachusetts general law, chapter 40, section six. Second. Moved and second. Any discussion? Just one question. <clears throat> We've got a lot of uh, items that are increasing our taxes this year, especially with the selectmen not spending the opera funds to help us. Since we do have the small amount of money left and the deputy fire chief is not in the budget, can we take whatever money is left here and devote it to that deputy fire chief for this coming year? Uh, no, not directly. There's two separate fiscal years. So uh, in theory, you could close when, it, when that money closes out at the end of the year because whatever is in the reserve account that isn't used closes out to free cash and in theory it's not you could use free cash then to fund a position but as you know under our policy we limit the amount of free cash in the operating budget to roughly one percent so so no this really the two two separate fiscal year uh, appropriations so it's always funny because I we were talking about this earlier today when it comes to budgeting it's like on the one hand you're you know, you're scraping to, to, to hit targets and then there's other earmarks or funding like there's 2.6 million dollars in ARPA funds that are available to be used but I don't have access to that 
and so we're scraping you know so you're working within the within each bucket that you have to stay within in each fiscal year that you have to stay within so so no it's a nice idea but no we, we can't do that any other questions or discussion all those in favor all those opposed transfers pass thank you um, Good. I, do, I just want to give you uh, two. So on the on the town meeting warrant, this is not. This is not on your agenda tonight. So I'm just distributing this for your information. This is a memo from the finance director uh, that went to the board of selection at their last meeting. And pertains to uh, a warrant article that uh, provides um, senior tax relief. So the board voted that uh, to increase the uh, thresholds, the income thresholds to 64,000, which is the maximum limit, and to reduce the uh, interest rate on essentially what is like a reverse mortgage uh, to from 8%, which is the statutory number, to 4%. So I'm uh, not asking you to debate this tonight, just want to distribute it, uh, but it's one of the financial articles that I think the committee will need to provide a recommendation on. Uh, so I want you to have that, uh, that information. Will this be on our agenda next meeting? Yes. Okay, thank you. But I just want you to have distribute that tonight since you're here, so. Uh, next on our agenda is discussion regarding committee recommendations. So the charge of the committee uh, by charter uh, is to weigh in on every financial article. Uh, again, not getting into discussion and deliberation tonight. Uh, what I typically do is I take the full warrant and I uh, provide you with just a summary of all of the uh, articles of uh, financial nature. So for instance, we just talked about the senior tax relief memo. That's article 14. So. Um, as you go through, uh, it's broken up into operating budgets, capital, um, CPC articles, and uh, and then the athletic complex, which uh, we just discussed a few moments ago. So as you as you go through and look at these, let me know uh, if there's anything or let the chairman know uh, before we get into voting your recommendations at a subsequent meeting. Um, if there's any any articles on here that you feel like you need additional information on or we haven't uh, touched upon probably the only other one that you haven't had an actual full presentation on is probably article 13 uh, this is the opioid settlement funds all that article does is it takes you know we are part of the uh, the opioid settlement monies and so all it's doing is we have to segregate those funding because it can only be used for certain things. And so, uh, again, the legislature failed to help us out. Uh, they were supposed to pass a legislation that would allow us to create a special revenue account to put those funding that those funds into so that then we can, you know, uh, designate them or segregate them and, uh, and come up with how we're going to use them and then be able to report. So because the legislature failed to do that, I don't know why, I think they just ran out of time and it wasn't a priority. Uh, these monies now just came in as a general revenue and 
close out the free cash. So what we did is we asked the Department of Revenue to take those monies, pull them out of free cash, designate it for us, and their recommendation is that we appropriate it into a standalone article. We don't need to decide how it's going to get spent right now. Really, the purpose of this article is just to segregate the funds so they don't get commingled and we can we can keep the reporting in line with the with the uh, settlement. But other than that, you have literally had a presentation on every every one of these other articles. Um, so, uh, but again, if you as you go through, you look at this prior to your next meeting. If there's anything that you would need in terms of additional information or have any questions, you let the chairman know. We'll put it on your agenda. We can have that uh, information for you at your next meeting uh, before you start to go through and, and make your recommendations for the town meeting. If anybody sees anything on here that jumps out at you that you don't recall having a presentation on or having copious amounts of paper on, um, you know, speak up now and we're happy to get it for you. As I, as I scan through it, the opioid settlement and the senior tax relief were the only two that, that jumped out at me and they're relatively minor issues. And again, the Board of Selectmen just made that decision about a week or so ago. So that's why we haven't brought it for you before you. We had a placeholder in the warrant, but until they voted that they, A, were gonna do it in what level, wasn't anything for us to report. Okay? If, um, if we as a committee wanted to include a letter of some sorts with our packet for town meeting yes. should we have that ready have it written so that we can review it oh yes here's some here's some great news for you Tim congratulations on your chairmanship um, <laughs> what we do staff does uh, uh, we take you have a if you if you go in and uh, I can distribute what, I, what I'll do is I'll send you by email a copy of last year's report the committee's report what we do is this one did I I know that's probably financial planning that you're thinking of they just they just completed their report so that's I distributed no, that but I think you gave us a copy of last year's report that we could use as a okay we might, I might have I'm very efficient in that way <laughs> but regardless I'll send you another copy because it's by email so it doesn't cost me anything to do that but uh, what we'll do is the staff will do the back end which is really just the article number, the uh, the, the, the uh, spending amounts, and descriptions that are in the warrant. It's really just the information piece of it. And then uh, you will vote your recommendations, but on the transmittal letter portion, that's typically drafted by the chair and then shared with the committee and approved. So that would be something between now uh, and your, and your, hopefully your next meeting, uh, you would uh, work. draft that. Yep. Uh, we'll give you sort of the, we'll give you the framework and the, and the just strictly factual information to make sure that that part is accurate. Okay. Any questions? Um, our next meetings. March 27th, 2023, joint budget hearing with the Board of Selectmen. Um, I would assume that's at seven. Is that in person? No, nope, but that is by Zoom. So we will send the committee, Diane Wackler, my office, will send you the, uh, the link. Uh, it is a joint meeting, so you will all be promoted up as panelists to participate in that, uh, in that meeting. I promise I'll promote you. Our Zoom, our Zoom guru will promote you. <laughs> 
<clears throat> and then as of right now, uh, we have uh, March 29th uh, is the committee to sit down to, to begin to go through their your recommendations in a, in a draft of your report. Whether or not you complete that work on the 29th or not, you know, depends on your, your Is there going to be anybody else on our agenda that night, or is it just? No, nope, just just you. Okay. The only purpose is to go through. And that's why I'm asking tonight, you know, based on the list that I provided, if there's anybody else that you want to meet with, any other departments or any other information, if you let uh, let the chairman know, and we'll make sure we get you the information, and we'll arrange to have them at, at your meeting if you feel like. Again, I gave you updated information tonight on the assessment and the Algonquin Athletic Complex. If you felt like you had more questions, we'd make sure the superintendent was here. Whatever the whatever the board is, um, whatever the committee needs, we'll we'll make them available. Great, thank you. Um, any other business? Would you entertain a motion or would you? I most certainly would entertain. Mr. Chairman, if I may, just before you do, you've got audience members. So if anybody get through the chair, if you wanted to, take any comment. <laughs> no comments today. But it was interesting to hear some of the stuff that I'm going to have to know about, and I appreciate that. Okay. Want to make sure we're open to the public for their input. I have a comment. I think it's um, it's helpful when if you are going to take public comment that it's on the agenda because you know I think you would have more people coming here if they thought that they could participate and ask questions. Yeah, we we use the same method as a planning board and not having that as a specific agenda item. I'm sorry. The planning board doesn't have public comment on their agendas either. Well, I don't know about. Planning board. I know about the board of selectmen, and it's very clear that we take public comment. Thank you. I'll yes. second Janice's motion. All those in favor? All those opposed? We are adjourned. For the record, eight twenty-eight.